Ha. Why? We may ask. Just get a glass of water, what you want to do for a couple of minutes, and um, just get yourself comfortable. Well, I'm going to begin this morning by praying and um, then reading from Psalm Isaiah 40. Father, we just thank you again for this glorious day and the time we've had together in worshipping you. Lord, it's such a delight to think of the glories of Jesus. Think of what he's done for us, Lord, and to be challenged about our place in this world, the world, Lord, which you've created. This lovely world which is also marred by things which are horrible and lives which are marred, Lord, and difficult and the war in Syria, Lord, we, we pray for that situation. Lord, you know it, Lord, we don't need to tell you about it, but we pray for peace in our time. We pray for men of ability and also vision. Maybe the glory of Jesus to fall on these lands. Father, we pray. But for today, Lord, we ask for your help as we go forward, we look into your word, as we reflect on your goodness over many years here. But Lord, we this morning want to have a time of praise and thanksgiving and celebration of your goodness. We've actually come, Lord, to hear from you today. <laughs> so Lord, I just pray that you take over me, go beyond me, and Lord, bring your word, your truth to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 40. Verse 21. We should begin reading. Isaiah 40. Verse 21. <clears throat> Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look at the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host, one by one, and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. 
Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you sometimes feel like that? Hmm? My way, my cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now in Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers. The writer was writing to principally Israelite people, Hebrew, Hebrews, and he was, he was talking about their forefathers. Through the prophets amongst them, at many times, and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The point about angels being a question of importance for the people he was writing to because they relied on maybe angelic visits or the theory, the teaching of angels. And yet, principally, Jesus as now is to be seen as the one who speaks and nothing else, nothing less. I'm going to sing a worship song to you. You can join in if you like. It's not in our worship book, and I don't think it ever will be. But the last line has a tremendous message. Them bones, them bones, them. Dry bones, them bones, them bones, them. Dry bones, them bones, them bones, them. Dry bones, now here. Ah, what are we doing? Here in the word of the Lord. Yeah, of course. So there's the message. Today is hearing from God. Hearing from God. We read a passage in Isaiah. Do you began with do you not know? Have you not heard? What's this all about? 
Isaiah is actually um, reminding the people that God has sovereignty through creation throughout the earth. But what he's writing now is directed to a people have declined in the ability to grasp truth. They have declined in the ability to grasp truth, God's truth. Do you feel a sense of need sometimes when you actually want to understand creation or something about Jesus and his incarnation, how he was born of a woman, yet the seed came by the power of the Holy Spirit? The understanding... Isaiah is talking to his own people, the people he lived among, the people who had been given the very oracles of God. They had been given the truth to deliver to the world. They had been given tremendous understanding about God. And yet he says, have you not known? Have you not seen? They had declined in the ability to grasp truth. When Jesus came, he actually restoring the ability for people to grasp truth because he unfolds the truth about God. And uh, that's a tremendous place to be in it, isn't it? I've been asked to preach today because I suppose I go with the furniture here. (laughs) 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 I didn't actually realise it until John mentioned it in prayer earlier on. It's quite significant that David's preaching. And so it set my mind thinking to um, about 62 years ago um, when I used to come to the little wooden hut at the back here when my dad was preaching and I used to sit on someone's lap at the back of the church and um, I didn't know what he was saying or anything like that but I, I remember the old gaslight hissing all the way through the service with two chains on it, one to pull it on and one to pull it off. It's gone now. but We've taken the ceiling but, you know, it was there. And then we come at most Christmas time when they had a children's prize giving. And that little uh, wooden place out the back there would be full of children hearing the word of the Lord. And other times as well. And so my memories go back quite a long way. But I have no attachment to this place. I remember this place being built. And um, I myself used to come here to preach... So several times, you know, during a year or something like that. And, um, and so I have many memories, but I have no attachment here. But I see why I'm part of the furniture, almost. But it was a place where God's word was preached. And we thank him for that. As we go from here, we're thanking for what God has done. You know, I remember Dulcie, the lady who just walked in off the street... And yet over the weeks and the days, she began to come with a tremendous smile on her face. I found something I never knew existed. And she get, used to get so excited, used to sit just about there. And she gets so excited. And yet she had many, many problems. Failed business, bad relations within the family, all sorts of things. And yet her life had been changed. And so today, this is, we're just remembering a history of God's goodness and a history of the word of God. Have you not known? Have you not seen? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? And it's amazing how Isaiah goes back to the beginning. 
Jesus used that phrase when he was talking about the relationship between man and wife in marriage and divorce. He says, Have you, it, was not so, it was so from the beginning. Isaiah goes back to the beginning. And the history is of those who heard from God. And so I just wanted to walk through, you know, the Old Testament, just to pick up a little bit of history. And I just want to end with just thinking about how we as a church have heard from God in regards to our move from here to Green Hill. As a church, going into a new area, going to a new place, what God has for us. But the, the, the element still remains. Whatever we do, whatever we say, we need to hear from God, whatever he says. Adam and Eve undoubtedly heard from God. I mean, his directions to them were, you can eat of every tree in the garden, but not that one. We know that they did eat from that one. They, were, they heard another voice. They, yes, they heard the voice of God, but there was another voice that was quite dominating and trying to lead them astray from what God had told them. And the whole concept and the idea of that is still with us today. God has allowed it to be so, but it means to say we need to know who we're listening to. We need to know who's speaking. And sometimes the, that concept of understanding who's speaking to us is a difficult thing to actually understand who is speaking to us. I understand that difficulty all through my life. I understand the difficulty. Is this God? Is, is that what he's saying? Isaiah said, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood? Sometimes no. <laughs> sometimes no. We find our place like that, and sometimes, somehow we've declined from the ability to grasp what is true because of the doubts we have in this life. But God is a God of confirmation. God is a God of revealing truth to us if we really want to find it. So Adam and Eve... What about them? This is a good book, God's Questions. And I just want to read these, a summary of those questions because God spoke to Adam and Eve by his grace and because of his mercy. He spoke to Adam and Eve after they had sinned and after they had listened to the wrong voice and they'd gone out of the way. The first question God asks them is, is where are you? It raises a theological question of our lost and restored relationship with God. It explores issues of shame and alienation and the mechanisms we adopt to hide from the reality of God. It raises hopes of homecoming and reconciliation. The question introduces us to a God who loves us enough to ask tough questions and comes looking for us with a tender love and searching grace revealed in Jesus. The first question God asked man, where are you? We know where we are, we're sitting in church today, but where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you in your life, home life, work life, relationship with others? And it doesn't matter where we are, that poignant question still comes to us, where are you? It's not that God doesn't know where we are, but he wants us to consider 
who we are and what we're actually up to. Where are you? Who told you was the second question. It raises the ideological question of where we get our ideas from. The question seeks to alert us to the cultural indoctrination and parental programming we have been subject to. It explores the issue of truth in a postmodern world and introduces us to the God who speaks truth in Scripture, who incarnates truth in Jesus, and whose voice alone we can trust to lead us into reliable reality. A voice that we can trust. Is that what we need? Is that what we want? As a church and as individuals, we need a voice we can trust. Who told you? The third question is, what is this you've done? It raises the moral question of how we are responsible for our words and our deeds. It explores the nature of guilt and the boundaries of moral responsibility. This question explores themes such as scapegoating, forgiveness and atonement, and how good works flow from grace and redemption. What is this you have done? Fourth question, why are you angry? It doesn't take too much intelligence to understand that we actually live in a world that's actually filled with anger in so many pockets of society. You only have to drive on the road <laughs> and do something a little bit wrong, you know, and um, you just realise there's just so much anger in our society. Anger. I get angry. I get very angry when a child is subject to abuse. But that's the right sort of anger. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way we are alienated from God, how it, we're left sometimes with so much pocket, a big pocket of anger. Why me? We could say. Why me? Why God doing this to me? And, and that's, that's not the question. It's a, what am I doing? Where are you? We've asked that question. Why? But God would, and I think it's a, a question God would want to ask each one of us. Why are you angry? <laughs> you know, what has actually caused it? Where's it come from? What's it doing in your life? Is there anything you can do about it? It raises the question of the sources of our emotions and what our feelings tell us about our self-esteem or self-hatred, our jealousy and anger. It introduces us to the God whose gospel is the path to healing and wholeness for the whole person. The last question is, where is your brother? It raises a social question of how our individuality defined in the image of God is set in social context. The question explores violations of that image as what distorts, damages or destroys the image of God that is our original stamp, original stamp of grandeur and dignity. It introduces us to the redemption and grace that recreates the community of the one new humanity in Christ. The church is probably the best place to know what it is about building community building relationships and friendships. But as a church, moving into Green Hill is, where's your brother? 
It was asked in the sense of, you know, he dealt the way he kind of dealt with his brother and murdered him, and that's a different question. But as as uh, Philip Greenslade says, it raises a social question. What about, do you just go through this? Do we just go through this life living here, doing our church thing from day to day? Or are we concerned about others beyond who are outside? And the gospel of Jesus Christ is about those who need a saviour, our social responsibility. Also within our families, and the way we act and the way that we react. That's Adam and Eve. There's Noah. My main point I'm coming to is that hearing from God is built out of relationship, not requests. Hearing from God is built out of relationship with him and not requests. I have heard people who are so involved in prayer, and I don't want to be judgmental, but so involved in prayer that they think their prayer is changing the world. Now, there's a fine line here, and I get like that sometimes. God has answered my prayer, not God has answered my prayer. You know? It's not the prayer that I'm praying, but it's who I'm praying to. Who I'm praying to. Noah. He was a man who was righteous in God's eyes. But, you know, it was built out of a relationship with him. And so God said to him, go build a boat. Why didn't he choose anybody else? Because the Bible tells us he was found to be righteous in God's sight. So it was built out of a relationship and he heard from God. What, build a boat where there's no water? We we could say, going to the school, that's the school. (laughs) It's not a church. That's not the point. The church is the people. So God's saying, go build something for me. We want to hear him about that. Abraham. And this, this one really gets me, you know. Go now, take your only son, Isaac, to the mountain that I will show you and offer him there as a sacrifice. Is that you, Lord? What do you say? He's a man who hasn't got written scripture. He's a man who only has his relationship with God to drive him forward. And how do we know? But he heard from God. So our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus Christ, is the fundamental thing that we need to work at if we're going to hear from God. It's not about the requests. It's about our relationship with him. It's not so much... It's not about about my asking, it's more about his saying. It's more about his saying. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Since the beginning of time? God's truth has been revealed right from the very beginning. And many of the questions we ask, or many of the things we're asking God of now today, are all actually, actually answered. A young boy came to his father and said, Dad, speak to me. His father responded, 
I would like you to go and clean your room. Pleased that his dad had spoken to him, the child goes off elated, but does not clean his room. Later he approaches again, Dad, is that really what you want me to do? His father replies, go clean your room, but does not do what he is asked. Pleased that his father had given him confirmation about what he wanted his son to do, yet again his son came to him and said, Dad, I love you and want to do what you say. Silence from Dad. So the boy was under the growing impression that his dad didn't love him and that he never gave him anything meaningful to do. Many of the things that we're actually asking God about, he's already given us the answers in this life. And they're given to us as a guide for our blessing and the blessing of this earth and the future that God has for us. So that's just a little story. Moses, and we had this yesterday morning at the prayer meeting, Moses, curious at the burning bush, he actually went to have a look. You know, Isaiah is actually talking about the sovereign God over creation. And sometimes we don't look at the wonderful things that God has done. You know? To Moses, this was an unusual sight. And so he actually was drawn aside to see the great sight. And when he drew aside to see the great sight, God spoke to him and told him it was holy ground he was on. And I just want to tie out that little picture with the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus came and died, it's the most visible expression of God's presence on this earth that we could ever imagine. It's a demonstration of his love, and it's a demonstration of his voice. It's actually acted out. Paul writes this in the Romans. He said, uh, how, you know, how do we know that God's loved, loved us? And he said, well, God sent his son. And it's actually unfolding the Logos word. And say, so God actually demonstrates what he's saying. God has an action for it. God has a way of showing us that what he, what he says is actually real. And so that we can understand it. Do you not know? Have you not heard that Jesus died for you? And that was so from the beginning, that Jesus was going to die. He was going to reveal his tremendous truth that would change the world by his grace. <laughs> Hallelujah! The one thing that's going to make people turn aside is the cross of Jesus Christ, because there he gave his life for us. And when we draw aside to see this great sight, God will speak to us. It's the beginning of God dealing with us, helping us to understand his word for us. Elijah, he pleaded with God on the basis of his relationship with him that he would speak to him. He said, look, Lord, I've served you. I've served you. He also said, he also said um, you know, look, look at me, look what I've done for you. And hear me. And just to recount on the story, after the time when there was that demonstration of the fall of the fire of God on the, on the sacrifice, where there was the challenge of the, the God of Baal and the true God, 
And God came with fire and burnt up all the sacrifice and licked up the water around the bottom. It was a blow in the face of the Baal God, who was the God of wind and fire and, <laughs> and rain. Yeah. There, God didn't do it. And yet when it came to Elijah's relationship with God, talking through, and there was an earthquake and a storm, in the end it came down the fact that in the end God will speak with a still, small voice. With a still, small voice. Which leads us on just a bit later. But Elijah, was in that re- he was in the relationship that he could understand the still voice of God. A still, small voice. Sometimes we maybe I've heard people say, if only God would write it in the sky, I would do it. It's almost like the earthquake in the wind. No, God will speak to us with a still, small voice. Still, small voice. Hosea was another one who acted out what God was saying. What, marry a prostitute? Yeah. Actually, I want to demonstrate how I feel about the nation of Israel, about you people. I want to love you beyond your shame. I want to love you beyond your condition. And I want to love you beyond where you are. I actually want to demonstrate my love for you. And so he did it in real-life drama. He did it. So Hosea married a prostitute. And God demonstrated through drama, through real-life drama, how much he loved his people and how that he was going to actually bring them back. The restoration process. God will speak to us with a view to restoring us to what he intends us to be. Not what we've led ourselves into. Now I just want to tell you, God wants to restore each of us this morning to a life of blessing and encouragement and of hope for the future and of knowing him and knowing the power of his love in our lives, helping us to understand the things we need to understand, not declining in our ability to grasp the truth, but actually improving. He wants to demonstrate his truth to us. So hearing from God as his child is born out of relationship more than meeting requirements and making requests. And I say that because I know what it's like to make many requests to God. You actually make them for years sometimes, and they don't happen. But actually, when you stop making those requests, they seem to happen. Why? Because we're depending on God by our asking, and not by his goodness. If we actually read the promises of God, and there are so many of them, I can't tell you all of them, but they actually answer most of the questions we would ever ask. That's what I found. I will never leave you or forsake you. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. There are just so many promises. That lots of the questions, the prayers that we pray, are actually being pre-answered for us if we believe that God will fulfill his promises. If we believe. But of course, God's leading us on to grasp these truths, isn't he? Not declining in the ability to grasp it, but actually going on with the ability to grasp it. Hearing from God, what is it like for us? Amos, 
he said he prophesied. Now, he wasn't from the school of the prophets. He was just a shepherd from Tekoa. And yet God spoke to him. And he said, there will be a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. A famine of hearing the word of the Lord. I suppose the 400-year gap between the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament, some people call that the silence of God in history. I suppose it could well be referring to that when God spoke and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, God comes into the life of the earth by the coming of Jesus and making what he was doing known. But hearing from God, hearing from God, what, is, what can it be like? My granddad was cycling down Joy Lane in Whitstable many, many years ago when my Uncle Barney was in the Metropolitan Police Force. And uh, he was cycling on his bike, as he did. And all of a sudden, he heard this voice, pray for Barney. So he, he put his bike up against the hedge, went round behind the hedge, and prayed for Barney. But what he didn't know till a later date was that at that precise moment, his son was being held at knife point in London. So hearing from God, what can it be like? But I can say this, hearing from God was born out of his relationship with him. He, my granddad was known as an eccentric, that's what people in Whitstable would say about him, and that is probably right. But he had a relationship with God. Every time, every time I went to his house and he was sitting down, he was reading his Bible. I just remember that. He wasn't very theologically correct, but he was always reading his Bible. And he had this thing about prophecy, you know. And these common words I used to him, mark my words, this will be and that will happen and all the rest of it, you know. But he had a relationship with God, you see. And hearing from God is born out of a relationship from God. And I wouldn't consider my relationship with God any better. But we were in France on holiday and we wanted to pull up, hook up for the night. Into, into, so we went to this place which looked very nice, you know, nice green place. It was a car park. So we pulled in and we started to prepare a meal. And um, I, during that time on that site, this, this guy drove in in a white Mercedes. And um, he got out of his Mercedes car, drove, he walked straight up to our caravan door. And he said, my name is Patrice. In broken French, you know, in English. But he said, my name is Patrice. I Christian too. Don't stay here tonight, it's dangerous. You know? And God moves. He, you know, wants to hear him. But out of our relationship with God, God will speak to us. We have a little text on the back of our caravan, for God so loved the world, and you can't see it. But he walked straight out of his car to our caravan without reading it, and he said, I Christian too. God is amazing. And he wants to. He desperately wants to speak us. He desperately wants to be with us. He desperately wants to move us forward. I'm going to go on now because I want to say something else. Hearing from God as the church is also born out of a relationship with the Holy Spirit and His manifestation through revelatory gifts. Can we just read one Corinthians 12? I want us to end with a celebration song and just. Thanking God for his goodness. 
You probably know how much I like this passage. Because I'm always reading it. As a church, we believe we're moving to Green Hill as a result of God speaking to us, not of anything else. Okay. Hearing from God as the church is also born out of our relationship with the Holy Spirit and his manifestation through revelatory gifts, God revealing. Five of the nine spiritual gifts which are given to the church are understanding what God's saying. They're revelatory. So uh, five of the nine. That's a little bit over 50%, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 12. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray. Here's this idea, isn't it, you know? Influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. But that's a clear underlining statement about gifts, you know? So if anybody is speaking against Jesus or is not in line with biblical truth about Jesus, we just need to flag up a caution. Yeah, flag up a caution. No one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's an amazing statement, that, isn't it? So it's just a confirmation of the Holy Spirit within us if we're able to say with truth, Jesus is Lord. Just a confirmation of his, his, his presence, anyway. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them and in all men, collectively. Not individually, collectively. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom and to another the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous power. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues and to still another the interpretation of tongues all these are the work of one and the same spirit and he gives them to each man just as he determines as we go out from here and I just want to suggest we're on a launch pad today we want to go out with the power of the Holy Spirit under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, taking him with us, not any religious form of the past. God will not work with religion, but he will work with relationship and he will work through revealing what he wants us to do. We need to go forth. And what does that mean? It needs to mean to cultivate a spiritual relationship with the Holy Spirit. God bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. That's the assurance he gives us. So he's working spiritually in our lives, importantly. Okay? The spirit connection. 
1 Corinthians 2.1, God has given his church the renewed privilege of being the ear of revelation in these last days. God has spoken to us through his Son. He's appointed him heir of all things, but Jesus is the way that God ultimately opens up the way now to grasp the truth. So we find difficulty to grasp the truth about God and understanding where we are with God. It can only begin with Jesus Christ. That's hearing the word of the Lord. God has given his church the renewed privilege. I'll just read these to you quickly. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. There's going back to the beginning again. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, and here we are again, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who loved him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. To the church, by the Spirit, revealing. And Paul goes on to say, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Cultivate the Spirit. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And this tremendous statement, speaking to the church, but we have the mind of Christ. It's clear, the mind, have the mind of Christ is clearly a confirmation of us hearing from God. There's one other verse from Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If the Lord is your principal source of joy, it is your innermost desires may well be a guide for the course of your life. But it's depending on whether the Lord is the delight. The Lord Jesus is actually the delight of our lives. And I think this, I would say, God would speak to us through that this morning. God wants you have him as the delight of your life, not just your saviour. The delight of your life. Having him as the delight of your life will change your desires. And maybe that can be a guide for leading you forward without necessarily being frustrated about hearing from God and knowing what the way forward is for you in your life. Let God be the, Jesus be the delight 
of your life. Worship him. And things will outflow from that. And you will know him. It's out of relationship. Stand, shall we? I'm... For a lot of people, we're not here from the beginning, but um, if anything has meant anything to you since you've been in this building, just thank God for it. Short, quick prayers and thank him for his goodness. And then we'll sing a song as we complete. And like the old hymn said, I like repeat saying old hymns, you know. Thank him for all that's past and praise him for all that's to come. Yeah? Hallelujah. Okay. Let's sing a song and then we'll just have a couple of prayers to thank God for his goodness.